We hope you're blessed and encouraged by the following study from Calvary Chapel, Elmani. It's our simple prayer that you would grow stronger and deeper in an intimate and personal relationship with Jesus Christ. Should you have any questions, please feel free to contact us here at Calvary Chapel, Elmani. The passage for today is John 1, verses 1 through 13, but I'm actually going to start with verse 14, and we'll, then we'll go back from there, okay? Thank you, Jesus. And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. Verse 1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him nothing was made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. And the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness did not comprehend it. There was a man sent from God, whose name was John. This man came for a witness, to bear witness of the light that all through him might believe. He was not the light, but was sent to bear witness of that light. That was the true light, which gives light to every man coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, and the world did not know him. He came to his own, and his own did not receive him. But as many as received him, to them he gave the right to become children of God, to those who believe in his name, who were born not of blood, not of the will of the flesh, nor the will of man, but of God. Amen. I think that was Bella, guys, so excuse me. <laughs> um, this passage, if you've been a Christian for any amount of time, you've probably heard a teaching on it. You've probably read it. Um, it's one of those um, passages, sections of the Bible, that you can really say, this is why I believe. I could stand on this, believe this, hang my hand on it, and just lean on it all day because it's God's word and it's God's truth. And it reveals something really sublime, but really simple. Jesus is God. Amen? It's um, kind of short. It's only 13 verses. So that makes it kind of concise. But um, even though it's so short and it has such a tremendous, it has such a tremendous effect on our lives. And it's kind of um, really profound and really kind of revolutionary, especially for the people in that time. Profound because of the subject matter, really. The man-God, the God-man. Hard to imagine, but it's written here. Revolutionary because it was an affront to the establishment of the day, to the religion of the day, to the dogma of the day. Amen? Um, 
Think about it. In the other Gospels, the writers of those Gospels kind of painstakingly take us back. I say painstakingly because a lot of us don't know how to read or don't want to read, but they take us back through history and give us a genealogy of where Christ came from, especially um, uh, Matthew and Luke, right? Mark kind of avoids the, the genealogy and goes straight into the business of what Jesus did, the miracles, the dying on the cross, everything like that. He goes straight into it. But John, in his, in his version of the gospel, and what he wrote is just, like I said, for that day it was revolutionary. He didn't go to the genealogies. He didn't go to the history. He just went straight to the point and said, Jesus is God. And the, the whole book of John is meant to bring us to that conclusion, the deity of Jesus, to know that he is God. If we read in uh, chapter 20 of John, it says, But these are written, verse 31 of John 20, John writes as following, 2031, he says, But these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing you may have life in whose name? In his name. In capital letters, right? He's telling us again, everything I've written in this book and everything that hasn't been written book should guide us to the fact that Jesus is God and that believing in his name, you will be saved. You will be saved. Saved from what? Because a lot of us come to church because it's a nice place, socialize. Oh, those Calvary Chapel people in El Monte, they're so cool. They're so nice. They're so loving. And I, I can't blame you. They are. <laughs> we have good people here. But if you come to church only for that reason, you've missed the point. Salvation is why we come here. Our gratitude, our appreciation. We get to come here. Amen? The Lord is so good. He is so good. Verse 1 through 3, it says, In the beginning, the Word was... I'm sorry. In the beginning was the Word... And the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him nothing was made that was made. As we see this, we think, what is this, a play on words, or what's going on here? Are they trying to inform us or confuse us? Well, I'll try to unconfuse you, okay? In the beginning was a Word. The word word here in the Greek is the word logos. Logos um, would make you think of a logotype or a logo, something that represents, and that's what it is. It's the representation of that deity. It's the, the exact representation. If we think of perhaps, um, you guys have heard this example before, of Nike, what do you think of as their logo? The swoosh. Think of McDonald's, you think of the Golden Arches. You think of Calvary Chapel, 
You think of the dove, right? They all are an impressed image of what they represent. And Jesus is God revealed to us, okay? God is spirit, but through Jesus, he was incarnate, okay? He came into the world through the virgin birth. So in the beginning was the word, the word being Jesus, okay? If we remember what we read in verse 14, it says, And the word became flesh and dwelt among us. That brings us back to verse 1. In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God. That's unusual. And the word was with God. That would make you think that there's more than one person there, right? And there was. And there is. The word is Jesus, and Jesus is the second person of the Trinity. It's the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Okay? That's what's so cool about this one section. In this one section, it talks about the Father, talks about the Son, it talks about creation, and it talks about what concerns us today, salvation. In 13 verses... I mean, that's why I say you can stand on this. You can take this to the bank. If you know this and believe it, you're on your way. Okay? God is good, guys. So Jesus was with, with God. Jesus was God. And in verse 2, he says, he was in the beginning with God. That sounds kind of redundant. It's, it's saying it again. It's not redundant. It's telling you that Jesus is a separate person. He has his own personality his own character that's why it's repeated okay he was in the beginning with god verse three all things were made through him okay how many things all things were made through him and without him nothing was made that was made Who has creative ability? Do men? Can men create? Think about that carefully. Can men create? I see a lot of heads nodding no. That's good. That's the right answer. Man cannot create. Man can take materials and build or construct something. But from nothing, they cannot create. Who has that aptitude and ability? Only God. And it's used here to describe who? Jesus. Another affirmation that Jesus is God, guys. He has creative ability, aptitude. Okay. If we go to uh, Colossians chapter 1, verses 15 through 17. Find it? Amen. It says, He is the image of the invisible God, speaking of Jesus, the firstborn over all creation. Wait a minute. You're telling me God was born? 
We, we often get confused on that verse. We shouldn't. We just need to read the rest of the Bible to unconfuse ourselves. So stick, in, stick your head in your Bible and stay in it, okay? If not, people are going to mislead you and lead you down areas you don't want to go, and you will be confused. Right here, it's referring to the fact that the firstborn in the Hebrew culture was always the place of preeminence. What does that mean? First place, okay? It doesn't mean that Jesus was born. It means he was put above everything else. He wasn't born. There, just to show you an example of that, think back to the Old Testament times and think of Isaac. He had two boys, right? Esau and Jacob. From before they were, the time they were born, God had told Isaac what? The younger will rule over the older. The older will serve the younger. In Jewish culture, that wasn't right. But who says what's right? God does. So he put him in the preeminent position. He was number first. Even though he was younger, he would rule over his older brother. Okay? That's what he's saying here. He wasn't created. He's just pointing out the fact that he had that position. He was before all things and above all things. So he is preeminent. Okay? For by him all things were created. By who? By who? God, Jesus, right? For by him all things were created that are in heaven, that are on the earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or principalities or powers. All things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things, and in him all things consist. So he created. Through him everything was created. And in him all things what? Consist. What does that mean? That means everything. The next breath you take, the next rotation of the earth's axis, the next uh, thought you have, everything consists on him. If it's not him, we all fall off. We're dead. We consist of him. He gives us life. Everything consists of him. Okay? So we're, we're, we need to com- become convinced in our hearts that Jesus is God. In Hebrews 1.3, it tells us that he is the express image of his person. Of the person of who? Of God. He exactly represents God. Okay? As we read right now in Colossians, okay, he is the image of the invisible God. If those things are a little bit, you know, kind of uh, up in the air with you and they're a little bit technical or you just can't, can't figure that one out, hear it from Jesus' word from his own lips. Go to chapter, chapter 14 of John. Chapter 14 of John, verses 7 through 9. Kind of funny, actually. 
This is John, uh, Jesus speaking to his disciples in, in verse 7. He says, if you had known me, you would have known my father also. And from now on, you know him and have what? Seen him. Okay, Philip. Okay. Philip gets some courage here and he says, says to him, Lord, show us the father and it is sufficient for us. Jesus said, have I been with you so long and yet you have not known me, Philip? He who has seen me has seen the Father. So how can you say, show us the Father? What was Jesus saying? He's the same as the Father. He's God, right? And I, I kind of kind of inject myself into the situation. I go there, and I imagine I'm there watching these two guys talk. Jesus, the creator of the universe, talking to Philip. And Philip says, man, just, just show me the Father. And I kind of interject, and I think Jesus probably slumped his shoulders. He says, man, Philip, I've been for you all these years. You've seen me do what I do. I just told you who I am, and you tell me to show you the Father. <laughs> it's like, buddy, Philip, wake up. And that's what he's telling us. I manifest myself to you. I reveal myself to you. I offer you salvation. I offer you salvation. Yet you doubt. Can man save us? Not at all. So don't be following a man. Don't be following a pastor. Don't be following a teacher. Don't be following mom and dad. Introduce yourself to Jesus because Jesus has been introducing himself to you for a long time. Amen? He is creator. Everything was made through him. Everything consists of him. In Psalm 33.6 it says, By the word of the Lord the heavens were made and all the host of them by the breath of his mouth. Jesus have creative power. I like it in the New Living Translation. It says, he merely spoke everything into existence. Was that a problem for him? Was it a hard thought out process for him? Did he have architectural drawings? No. He just did it. He just spoke it into action. That's our God. That's Jesus. And in verse 4, in him was life, and life was the light of men. Am I making that noise? No? In him was life, and the life was the light of men. That doesn't mean by itself, it just doesn't mean Jesus has life. It goes beyond that. We all have life, right? But he contains life. We read in, in Colossians, everything consists in him, right? 
So it also means he is the supplier of life. Like I said earlier, everything that exists, exists because of him. If you have that next breath, you take that next step, it's because he's interjected life into you. Okay? So he doesn't merely have life. He is a supplier of life. He is the fountain of life. From him, all life proceeds. Can, can, can you guys imagine that? He is the center of the universe. Everything does revolve around him. Right? You get angry at your kids or your wife, and you think, you think you're the center of the universe. Basically, you're, thinking, you're saying you think you're God. Well, in Jesus' case, it's true. He is the center of the universe. Okay? Everything does consist in him. And he was the light of men. In chapter 8 of 12, of uh, John, verse 12, it says, I am the light of the world. He who follows me shall not walk in darkness, but have the light of life. Amen? That's just one of those I am statements that are all basically in, in, in the book of John. I believe there's eight. But what does that, what's the significance of him saying I am prior to saying I am the light, I am the life, I am the way, I am the bread? What, what's the significance of that? Who else used that title? You think back to Exodus when God and Moses were having their little powwow, right? They're talking. And he says, uh, Moses says, so what should I tell the people? Who sent me? And what did God say? I am. I am that I am. I am sent you. So when Jesus would use these statements in front of a Jewish crowd, what did they think? There was no confusion. They knew what he was doing. He's saying, I am God. That's the reason they wanted to stone him at every turn. Okay? There was no coincidence there. They, they were not ignorant people. Um, from what I know, a 12-year-old boy in the Jewish culture needs to know all five books of the law by the time he's 12. So you think when he was talking to Jews, he was talking to people who didn't know what he was saying? If he were talking to us, you might say, what are you talking about? They knew. He was making big claims. And from John 1, we know John understood what he was saying. He is the light of the world. Everything does consist in him. He is God. Okay? So... When he says he's the light of the world, he doesn't just give us life. He doesn't just give us existence because truth be known, that slug you may have stepped on this morning had life, right? It had life in it. And we have that sort of life too. But he gives us that light. And what is that light? The guidance, the instruction, the desire, the motivation, the desire to know that there is something more than just me. That is the light. And he gives that to all men. Now, that desire to know someone else as Lord and Creator should grow in our lives. It should bring us to a point of wanting to know him personally. Unfortunately, a lot of people don't. We know that. A lot of people don't. 
regardless of he gave us that light verse 5 and the light shines in the darkness and the darkness did not comprehend it that means basically that light and darkness they have no correlation they don't get along what happens when light shows up in the darkness? Darkness flees. It leaves. And I've always, I've always um, imagined this, and, and, and I've, I've, scientifically it's true, but I, I thought to myself, I'm going to give it a shot this morning. I got up in the middle of the morning, have, made sure all the lights were off, and I turned on a little big lighter. Okay? That one small light, what did it do? It made darkness flee. If perhaps just around me, but it made it flee. Okay? There is no correlation between darkness and light. Every time light comes into a place that's dark, darkness flees. So I imagine this. I imagine, man, when Jesus came into the world, we all know it was already a fallen world, right? Full of sin full of perversion, full of twisted thoughts. It was just evil, dark. So when he came into the world, his light made darkness flee. And I, I, and I stop and think, I go, man, it must have been like taking just the most powerful torch you could find and imagine and throwing it into the darkest pit or cave what happens when you do that out in, out in nature? What happens when we do that in our houses sometimes? Um, all kinds of little animals and varmint and evil things kind of scurry away, right? And that's what happened. Demons were affronted. The religious system of that time was offended and insulted. Why do you think they wanted so much to kill him? He was shedding light on their agenda. And he was saying, it's not your agenda, it's my agenda. It's not your religious system, it's life in me that gets you into heaven. Okay? So I saw, I stopped and I looked, man, man, all these little roaches and varmint and vermin just running away. And I, I just imagined the demons, the Pharisees, all the false religions were so insulted by his light. So there's no correlation. Darkness does not comprehend it. Verse 6 through 9. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. This man came for a witness, to bear witness of the light that all through him might believe. He was not that light, but was sent to bear witness of that light. That was the true light which gives light to every man coming into the world. You guys ever read a, a, a description of, of uh, John the Baptist anywhere? 
It's in Matthew 3, I believe, verse 4. But it talks about what he was like. He was a, a rough rider, man. He was just a down and dirty kind of guy, lived out in the desert, um, wore camel's hair. Camel's hair. Can you imagine that? Can you, can, have any of you guys ever worn a Pendleton? <laughs> Awfully expensive, but man, they're itchy. Yeah. Man, can you imagine this guy wearing camel's hair? And in the old King James, it says he wore a leather girdle. We just, we just call that a belt, but it, so, it sounds funner if we call it a leather girdle, huh? He's out there eating uh, grasshoppers, wild honey, living out in the dirt, in the sticks. And what's he called to do? To announce the light. You guys ever been to a special presentation or an assembly of, of you know, high society? Don't they always have an MC, a master of ceremonies? Can you imagine having a master of ceremonies like, like John? Presenting you? Well, that's what his job was. He came to announce the coming of Jesus. He came to tell people to repent. He came to tell people to correct their hearts and follow God. And the reason he was the way he was is the same reason we should be the way we should be. We shouldn't count ourselves special. We shouldn't count ourselves elegant or fancy or intellectual or any of those things. We should just say, we're servants of the great God. Come here to announce the fact that the light came into the world and you need to receive it. Simple message. Simple message. But we get into ourselves. And as I read through that, those three verses, I said, that's the reason. John knew he had to be less so Jesus would be more. We need to be the same thing. At home. At work. We need to be humble and let the Lord shine through. What happens usually when we let our characters take over? It's a big mess. It's a big mess. We give false testimony of who the real Lord is. We need to set aside. We need to be John the Baptist. Strong, but in love. Strong, but in truth. Okay? Crazy out in, dude out in the desert yelling, Jesus is coming. You know, <laughs> we do well to be that simple sometimes. But we make the waters cloudy and we muddy it up and, and we get it all confused with our personality and, and our, our dogmas and our doctrine. Just say, Jesus is here. He wants you. He loves you. Repent. Amen? Verse 10. Speaking of Jesus again. He was in the world and the world was made through him. And the world did not know him. He came to his own, and his own did not receive him. What did we read in Colossians? Who made the world? Jesus. So when he came into the world, 
Did he need to have anyone's permission? He was coming into his own domain, right? You dads, you big macho type guys. When you get home, you're home, right? You don't have your wife saying, what are you doing here? Right? Who are you? You would say, wait, 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 wait. I'm the man that married you 32 years ago. I'm the man that provided this home for you. I'm the man that's raised four kids with you. What do you mean, who are you? This is my domain. (laughs) It's not my domain. But in God's case, it was. Right? In God's case, it was. Yet they didn't accept him. They didn't even want to hear of him. Okay? That's pretty, pretty ironic. And it's sad. The world was made through him. He came to it. He came to his own. And they didn't know him. Verse 11, it says, He came to his own, and his own did not receive him. But... Okay, here comes the good part, right? He came to his own. He came to the chosen people of Israel. Turn with me to Deuteronomy, guys. Chapter 7, verses 6 through 8. This is speaking of the chosen people, the people of Israel. And that's precisely and actually who Jesus came to first, right? It says, For you are a holy people to the Lord your God. The Lord your God has chosen you to be a people for himself, a special treasure above all the peoples on the face of the earth. The Lord did not set his love on you, nor choose you, because you were more in number than any other people, for you were the least of all the peoples. But because the Lord loves you, and because he would keep the oath with you, which he swore to your fathers, the Lord has brought you out with a mighty hand, and redeemed you from the house of bondage, from the hand of Pharaoh, king of Egypt. How many of us know that story? I mean, since we were kids, we've probably heard it. in in Bible class, in Bible school, in Sunday school. So Jesus comes to these people, the chosen people of God, the people who had the prophets, the people who had the prophecies, all pointing towards him. Yet when he arrives, they don't accept him? They don't accept him. This is even sadder. Go to verse uh, chapter 9 of Romans.
chapter 9, verse 1. Now this is our brother Paul speaking to the Roman church and reminding them of something. He says, I, I tell the truth in Christ. I am not lying. My conscience also bearing me witness in the Holy Spirit that I have great sorrow and continual grief in my heart. For I could wish that I myself were accursed from Christ for my brethren, my countrymen, according to the flesh, who are what? Israelites, to whom pertain the adoption, the glory, the covenants, the giving of the law, the service of God, and the promises. Listen to this. Of whom are the fathers and from whom, according to the flesh, Christ came, who is over all the eternally blessed who? God. God. Amen. God came to his chosen people, himself, in bodily form, in the flesh. They had heard the prophecies. They, had had, they knew the covenant. They had been ministered, ministered unto. And then he comes as one of them. And they refuse him. They ignore him. They reject him. Chosen people. Special, um, special people. You could say, if you want to just come out and say it, the favorites of God in the beginning, right? And they reject him. Very, very ironic. That's verse 11. He came to his own, and his own did not receive him. Okay? Verse 12, but. Why is the word but in the Bible always such a big, important word? It's only three letters, right? It says, but as many as received him. Who? As many as received him, Jesus, to them he gave the right to become what? Children of God to those who believe in his name. So what, what, what kind of special uh, duties do you do? To become a family member of God. What's that? Repent, receive him. It's that simple. Do you need to do uh, penitence? Do you have to do 10 Our Fathers? No? Do you have to walk across the parking lot on your knees? No. I'm getting personal now, huh? <laughs> None of those things. We don't need to bring sacrifices. The only sacrifice God wants from us is our obedience. That's it. Right? As many as received him. But... But Mark, I can't come in. I feel like a hypocrite. I, I got to change before I come to church. That's a lie from the pit of hell. That's where the devil wants us the rest of our lives, thinking we're not good enough. Well, he is right. We're not good enough. But we need to understand that through the blood of Christ, we are made good enough. That's the only sacrifice that's ever going to be needed, once and for all times. Okay? 
We're never good enough. Just receive him. Go to Romans 10. If you're not turning your pages, you should be writing down the cross-references, okay? Romans 10, verses 5 through 10. Amen? Amen. For Moses writes about the righteousness, righteousness which is of the law. The man who does those things shall live by them. How many men have done these things? Kept the law. Just Jesus, right? He's the fulfillment of the law. So basically Moses is saying, don't go there, you're not going to make it. He's saying, for for Moses writes about the righteousness which is of the law, the man who does those things shall live by them. But the righteousness of faith speaks in this way. Do not say in your heart who will ascend into heaven, that is, to bring Christ down from above, or who will descend into the abyss, that is, to bring Christ up from the dead. But what does it say? The word is near you, in your mouth and in your heart. That is the word of faith which we preach. What? That if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be? For with the heart one believes unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. So receive him. You're not going to be able to change. You won't. Come to him, and he'll do the changing. He'll pull out a chisel and a hammer and do some work on you. He'll make you and break you and make you again. Amen? So just receive him. forgot my iPad, so I brought my candle. <laughs> Thank you, Jesus. But as many as received him, to them he gave the right to become children of God. Right, authority, privilege to those who believe in what? His name, that's Jesus. Put Jesus in there, guys. Okay, verse 13. Who were born. Oh. What did Jesus tell Nicodemus? You must be born again. So, um, as humans, we're all born, right? Or or did you kind of just fall out of the sky? Sometimes I tell my wife she's an angel that fell out of the sky for me, but none of us fell out of the sky. We're all born physically. But we need to be born what? Spiritually. Spiritually. In other words, it's best to be born twice and die once 
It's much better than to die twice and be born only once. Because believe me, if you don't know Christ, you're going to die twice, spiritually. And the funny thing is, it's a living death, if you get what I mean. You're going to experience it for all eternity. So if you think you've had it bad here, go without Jesus. Not my suggestion. I mean, this come down to it. The reason we're here is because we want to hear about God. The reason that God allows any of us to speak to you is because we need to direct you toward God, and you need salvation. That's it. I don't need a new car. I don't need the word of faith moment. I just need Jesus to forgive me so I can get it in eternity because the time I spend here is, no, you can't even see it compared to eternity. Right? Receive God. Be born again. That means repent of your sins and realize that spiritually you need to be born again. You need to give your life over to Jesus so he can purify you, so he can clean you. You won't be able to do it on your own. Never, ever. You can take that one to the bank, that's for sure. Okay? And it says, it goes on to tell us how we're born. Actually, how we're not born. Okay, not of blood. Okay? That means doesn't mean how special you are. Doesn't matter how much mama loves you. Okay? That means it's not an inheritance. You could be Adam's third cousin twice removed. That doesn't get you into heaven. Okay, you can have Abraham in your family tree. That's not going to get you into heaven. Okay? Should I go there? No, I'm not going to go there. <laughs> you can be uh, Brother Mark's child, but that doesn't guarantee you anything. That just means you have a tall, gruesome dad, but it doesn't mean you're going to get into heaven. Okay? It's not by blood, it's not by inheritance, it's not by lineage. Okay? In other words, okay, when two Christians get married, which I hope happens often, two Christians get married, and they have kids, they don't have Christianese. They have sinners. Okay? They're born sinners. Give it a shot. Get your two-year-old grandson or granddaughter and say, uh, mijo, Go pick up that trash for me. What's the first word they're going to say? No. That's what we learn. It's, it's, it's innate. It's in our nature. Goodness comes by learning goodness and receiving it from God. Okay? So you're not going to get into heaven because you come to Calvary Chapel Omani. Man, I th are you sure? Yeah, I'm sure. You're not going to get into heaven if you're Pastor Mandy's son. I didn't want to go there, but it's a truth. <laughs> Pastor Mandy is great. Never met a more godly man. Okay? But he's just a man. And his kids, my kids, your kids, they all have to come to the realization that they need Christ. 
I mean, so it's not by blood, okay? It's not by blood. And it's not of the will of the flesh. That means you can't make yourself go into heaven. You can't work yourself into heaven. Um, there's got to be a will to receive Christ, but you can't will yourself into heaven. It's nothing you can do. It's putting yourself at the mercy of God and saying, I can't do, is what's going to get you into heaven. Having, allowing him to save you is what's going to get you into heaven. So no matter how hard you work, doesn't matter how many times you cross that old lady across the street, doesn't matter how many times you give to Samaritan's Purse or any other charity, that's not what's going to get you into heaven. Those are all good things. Those should come from a grateful heart. But that's not going to get you into heaven. No matter how hard you try. The other day, the other day, it was yesterday. Oh, I'm getting old. <laughs> I'm sitting there with my daughter, Nancy, and my grandson, Jack. Jack's a, a funny kid, let me tell you. So we're, we start having dinner after a while, and I'm studying. And I see Jack, and he's kind of grimacing. And he's kind of going, like this, like he's trying really hard to do something. So Nancy says, mijo, what are you doing? He's saying, I'm trying to become 18. <laughs> he's three years old, and he, he figures it's going to take some effort to do it, right? And I go, what's he talking about? Because my, my daughter Nancy starts cracking up. She says, well, Dad, three months ago, okay, I told him he could drive when he was 18. So he remembers this. He is so smart. <laughs> Doesn't take after grandpa, let me tell you. But he, he, it was so amazing. And, and the example just came into my head. He couldn't will himself. Actually, he has a better chance of willing himself to be 18 than we do to will ourselves into heaven. Okay? It was funny, let me tell you. So it's not by our will. The last one's the one that hurts me the most. Okay? Nor the will of the flesh, nor the will of man. What that means? I can preach until I'm blue in the face. I can make God a thousand promises. But I can't save my own kids. Okay? I can't save you. My words might be pretty cool, might be pretty funny, but if the Holy Spirit of God doesn't convict your heart, you will never turn to Him. That special pastor that comes to town every day, every week, He can't help you. The Holy Spirit isn't there and your will isn't there. Because we are responsible to say yes. I know doctrines that teach to the contrary, but I won't go there. But we are responsible to say yes. That's why it says, at the end of the verse, the birth is what? But of God. He's the one. When we repent... When we come to him broken with a contrite heart and say, Dad, I need you. 
then, then you become his children. Because the world will tell you, oh, no, he's a pretty good guy. He's going to get into heaven. According to the world, everyone makes it into heaven. Is God playing some kind of bad joke on us? No. Why would he have sent his only son to die for us if everyone's going to go into heaven? There is no way, guys. We have to come on his terms. Let me tell you what. I mean, there's a lot of good people that are not in the church. People that are much better than me. But one bad thought, one bad look, one irreverent display of disrespect, and they're not in heaven. It's as plain and simple as that. Because if you remember, Jesus told his disciples about sin. It's about the attitude. Okay? He said, you guys have heard about adultery? How it's sin to commit adultery with another man's wife? He says, no, don't even go there. All you got to do is look at that girl twice and you've already committed adultery. You've heard murder is a sin? Let me tell you something. It's your attitude. As soon as you look at your brother and call him Raka or call him an insulting name or think bad thoughts about him or even think about killing him, you've already committed murder in your heart. So who has a chance to get into heaven? Only those, only those that receive him. Only those who are born again. Only those who accept the blood of Christ. But Mark, my friend's such a good guy. He's not going to make it into heaven. Well, if introduce him to Christ. Give him an opportunity. And in the end, God will make that decision. I'm not here to tell you um, so-and-so didn't have a chance to repent. My own father didn't repent until three days before his death. Okay? I'm just telling you about, about the assurance those are uh, situations of, of the unknown. I can't tell you if that person was saved or not. I'm not God. But I can tell you that I am saved because I know who my Savior is. Now ask yourself, do you know who your Savior is? Ask yourself. You know, so when I realize that I can't preach my kids into the kingdom when I can't take them by the hands and lead them, it's a sad thought. Because they have to come to the realization that God loves them. And they have to live for them. For Him. Right? Often I've heard people say, even so, come Lord Jesus. Maranatha. I'm ready. Come and get me. I'm not so quick to flippantly say, come get me, because... I don't know where my kids' hearts are. Do you? Do you know where your brother's heart is? Do you know where your mom's heart is? So pray for their salvation. Keep preaching to them. Keep praying. And the Lord will break their hearts and make it good. Amen?
We hope you were encouraged by this study. If you have any questions, please call us at Calvary Chapel El Monte at air code 626-454-3414. Remember that Jesus loves you.